As Dan mentioned, uh, Alan and Barbara are on vacation in Mississippi, so uh, that's that's one difference this morning is Alan's not here, uh, as he as almost always is. Uh, another difference this morning as we turn to our sermon is that we're not going to go to one particular passage, and usually Alan picks one passage in particular, usually goes through a book and expounds on that passage, but this morning we're going to take a topic, a topic of repentance, and look at what the whole scripture says about that topic uh, I hope all of you had a good Thanksgiving uh, in the holidays. I guess we're all reminded of the things that characterize our particular families uh, for good or bad. And uh, that is the one characteristic that is to be a vital part of the family of God is our repentance. That is to be a distinguishing uh, characteristic. It's such a uh, easy thing, though, in the church, isn't it, to use uh, words that are so familiar like repentance and actually forget the biblical content that stands behind them and what it actually means. So I think this will be a good refresher for us to go back to the scriptures, to take this language uh, that is so common that we use all the time and remind ourselves what the Bible says and make sure that we are actually repenting. Uh, what we think of repentance is actually biblical repentance. When I worked uh, in seminary at a bank, uh, one of the ways we could tell counterfeit bills, the easiest way was just take a counterfeit pen and swipe it on the bill. If it turned one color, it was authentic. If it turned the other, it was counterfeit. So I hope this morning we'll be basically uh, taking a counterfeit pen to our own repentance and holding it up in the light of Scripture and saying, is this authentic repentance or not. So as we go through this morning, I want to give you some kind of diagnostic questions to be that sort of counterfeit pen. And if you uh, are able to write them down, wonderful. If you can't or can't get them all, uh, send me an email. I'll be glad to, to shoot those to you. And just take time to ponder these, to examine yourself. Uh, talk to your spouse or a good friend. Uh, if you're a young person, talk to your parents about this. And Shine the light of scripture on your repentance and see what you find. The heart of the matter is this. Jesus came, and I don't know if you think of repentance in this way. Jesus came to bless us with repentance. In Acts 3, when Peter is preaching, he says this. God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you. How? To bless you by turning Every one of you from your wickedness. Well, that's a description of repentance. To turn us away from our wickedness. Repentance is a blessing that God gives. That's why Jesus died and rose again, to bless us with repentance. So this morning, how we're going to approach this is I want to, we're going to do three things. We're going to first look at a few broad brushstrokes of Scripture. Then we'll look at counterfeit repentance. What is, what is repentance not? How do we deceive ourselves and think we're repenting when we're really not? And then we'll look at what is actually authentic repentance according to the Bible. So that'll be our approach. Uh, because we're not looking at a particular text, we don't have a, a scripture to read, but let's pray before we begin. Father, as we come to you this morning, as we've heard from your word, uh, you ask us to repent. You call us to repent and you give us grace to repent. Father, we pray that as we look at your word, that we would examine ourselves, that we would be convicted that we would be uh, overjoyed at the grace you give us to repent, and that we would run hard after it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in broad strokes, first of all, when you look at the scriptures, what do you see when we look at the topic of repentance? Well, the first, uh, we'll look at three brief things in these broad brush strokes. 
The first is the heart of the Christian message has to do with repentance. I don't know if you've ever. What do you think of when you think of the heart of the Christian message? Do you think obviously something like well, it has to do with the cross. It has to do with salvation by grace. But at the very heart of it is also that we're called to repent. Notice uh, what Jesus said in Mark 1, Mark 1, verse 14, uh, the very beginning of his ministry, the very first words out of his mouth as he began to minister. Mark 1, 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that was at the heart of Jesus's message when Jesus was training his disciples on earth and he sent them out to preach. What did they preach on Mark six, verse 12? It says, so they, the disciples at Jesus's pushing and insistence. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. That's the summary statement of what the disciples preached during Jesus's earthly ministry as they were being trained Now, after Jesus's ministry was complete and he was ascending into heaven, the charge he left the disciples to preach. What was that charge in Luke 24? It's recorded in verse 46. Thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Uh, The Apostle Paul, when he was called to preach for Christ, Uh, he's describing this before a court, before King Agrippa, and this is how he describes his call from the Lord Jesus. Therefore, O King Agrippa, this is from Acts 26, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance." So I hope that's how we think of the Christian message. At the very center of it is a call to repent. That's the first brushstroke. The second brushstroke, when you look at broadly what the Bible says, is that repentance is essential to salvation. It's absolutely essential to salvation. There's no salvation whatsoever without repentance. Now, don't don't hear me wrong. Don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying that our repentance is what saves us. Of course, the only thing that saves us is the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith, that he stood condemned in our place and took the penalty for our sins. But apart from personal repentance, we have no right to expect that salvation won by Christ to be applied to us. And, and of course, God doesn't base our salvation on our repentance. It would never be good enough, right? The only thing good enough is Christ's perfect, stainless righteousness. And that's the only thing that allows us to stand before God. But according to Scripture, repentance is essential. In Acts 3, uh, Peter's preaching to the crowd, and he says this, uh, Acts 3, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. And it was Christ himself who said in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will perish. And so we have to acknowledge that presuming God's grace is a danger for those who are, especially for those of us, I would say, who are in the church. We say it all the time. Well, obviously, God is God is gracious. 
God would, God would forgive. God will forgive me. God will not condemn me. Well, of course he will. But how do we partake of that forgiveness? How do we partake of his goodness, of his forgiveness? It's through repentance. God's grace is the removing of the cancer of sin from our lives and turning us to repentance. So expecting salvation without repentance is like uh, going to the doctor and finding out you have cancer and saying, Doctor, I want you to save me, but I don't want you to touch this cancer. I don't want you to remove it. I don't want you to do anything to it. Well, it's the same thing with sin. We can't expect to be saved without God actually removing sin from our lives. And so as we grow in the faith, as we hear God's word preached from week to week, as we read it ourselves, as we hear what God has called us to be, more and more we pursue repentance, knowing that this is how we partake of fellowship with him. Faith and repentance are the legs with which we run to our father, like the prodigal son, to receive forgiveness. And as we uh, continue in the Christian life, that's how we continue to walk in fellowship with our father is through faith and repentance. Those are the legs. If you would turn, I will ask you to turn to this passage. Turn to Jeremiah chapter four and verse one. So the second brushstroke, again, is repentance is essential to salvation. The third brushstroke is that repentance, uh, according to Scripture, is both something internal and external. It's inner and it's outward. The common Old Testament idea, when you look at Jeremiah 4, is that uh, repentance is described as a turning away of our sin, turning away of our idols, turning unto the Lord. Because of an internal change, because of a new heart that we have. Jeremiah 4, beginning at verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your because of the evil of your deeds. So do you see it described there as both something, a turning away from sin and idols, but also a turning unto the Lord, returning to the Lord because of a renewed heart. So it's an internal and an external uh, thing. The chief word in Greek is an internal attitude change, a heart change. But in the New Testament, it's always paired with then action, with, with evidence of that being shown in our actions. In Acts 26, verse 20, we read, In Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, this is, again, Paul's charge, that they should re- repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. There are deeds that are external that show what has been changed in our heart. So the first diagnostic question that we should ponder, I think, is do you think of repentance as something both inward, an internal heart change, an attitude change, and something external that's shown in our actions? And and a follow-up would be, have have we minimized one of those in our lives over the other? Have we minimized one in our lives? So do you think of repentance as both inner and outer? And have you minimized one over the other? So those are the broad brushstrokes. Repentance is the heart of the Christian message. 
Repentance is essential to salvation. It's something both inner and outer. So what is counterfeit repentance? When we deceive ourselves, when we think we're repenting, when that's not really what's happening, what does that look like? What are some ways we do that? Well, it's important to consider this. Uh, St. Augustine uh, had a famous quote that repentance damns many. And, of course, what he meant by that is false repentance. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we've repented. So it's very serious and very important that we think through the different ways we can deceive ourselves. The first is simply feeling guilty or feeling regret over sin. Now, that's obviously can be a very good thing. But if that's all it is and we don't actually turn away from our sin, that's not repentance. Scripture's full of examples of people who are regretful or guilty over their sin. Uh, people like Ahab or Judas felt very much regretful for what they did at times, and yet they didn't actually turn to the Lord and repent. So that's one way. Another way, a second way, is simply uh, having uh, a, a lot of knowledge about sin. We can have a very detailed theology, even a detailed theology of sin and, and what that looks like. And yet, and maybe here's the key to discerning this in ourselves, do we most readily apply that to others or do we most readily apply that to ourselves? Well, if we don't most readily apply it to ourselves, maybe that's a, 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 maybe that's a hint that we are deceiving ourselves. We can have very much a knowledge of what the Bible says about sin and yet not actually apply it in our blindness to ourselves. A third way we can deceive ourselves, a third uh, example of counterfeit repentance would be promising not to sin anymore. We can make many, many promises not to sin and yet not actually turn from sin. We can make a promise and then run right back to our sin. And there's not really been any internal heart change whatsoever. And our behavior, of course, then doesn't change. So uh, if our heart's still loving sin, there's no change there in our heart. We've not really repented. We can make all the promises we want, but it doesn't actually uh, it doesn't actually mean repentance, not not at all. A fourth way we can show counterfeit repentance is, uh, well, obviously there's much to be said about grieving over our sin, which we'll talk about in a moment. The Bible commends that whatsoever. But by itself, simply grieving or weeping over sin uh, or, or grieving in itself is not necessarily... Repentance. The Bible distinguishes between a godly sorrow, a godly grieving over sin, which actually leads to repentance, and a worldly grieving, which doesn't lead to repentance. So we need to be careful. Even though uh, we would weep or grieve over our sin, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've repented. Uh, Paul spells this out in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, beginning at verse 9. He distinguishes these two types of sorrow, these two types of grieving. He says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, look, we all know that we, because sin brings evil things, it brings consequences into our lives, it makes a mess of things. We can no more sin uh, and expect nothing to come of it than we can you know, chuck rocks at a, at a beehive. Uh, there's, there's going to be, when we sin, consequences. It's going to make a mess. We can grieve 
over the consequences of our sin. We can grieve over the mess of sin. We can grieve over the destruction that has wreaked in our lives and yet not actually grieve that we've sinned against the Lord and actually turn away from that sin. So that's the distinction. We can uh, weep over our sin, but not actually repent. Uh, another example of this from Scripture is, is Esau. In Hebrews 12, uh, it says, uh, after a warning about Esau's sins of, of sexual immorality, of uh, self-indulgence, in verse 17 of Hebrews 12, we read, For you know that afterward, when he, Esau, desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I recently heard a counselor who's worked with uh, domestic abusers for years and years say, you know, it's very moving when a man breaks down and cries. It's very moving. It's very powerful. But that doesn't necessarily mean that repentance has taken place. So we should examine our grief. So a diagnostic, another diagnostic question at this point. Have we experienced grief because of sin? And the grief that we experience, is it more over the consequences of our sin? Is it because of the mess we've made in our life? Or is it more over how we have offended the Lord and affronted his holiness. A fifth way we can show counterfeit repentance is to actually leave certain sinful ways, but not others. We can deceive ourselves and think, well, I've, I'm a repentant person. I've repented. I've left one sin, but maybe I've just left this sin and gone to this one. Or maybe I have you know, done many good things, that kind of show, well, see, I'm a repentant person. I do all these good things, but yet over here I've held on to something. Uh, we, can, uh, we can do this. Uh, we can make a show of our repentance by simply leaving a certain thing or doing good things, but yet holding on to things and not repenting of those before the Lord. So those are all counterfeit repentance. Those are not, according to the Scriptures, what repentance is at all. Uh, just briefly, a couple of other warning signs that come to mind. Beware of the qualified confession. Well, well if, if I offended you, I'm, I'm sorry. If, you, if you're qualifying your confessions, that's, a, that's another warning sign. Uh, another, another warning sign would be if we're more concerned about the damage done to our reputation when we're confronted with our sin than how we've offended God, how we've dishonored God. Another warning sign would be never specifically confessing anything. If we just say, Lord, you know, obviously it's great to repent in a general way and to confess that you are sinful before the Lord. But if you never actually specifically bring a sin before the Lord, that's another warning sign. Uh, another one would be uh, if we confess all the time our sin, but never actually take concrete steps to try to turn away from our sin, if we never seek out accountability for a particular sin, for example. And then a, a final warning sign would be if we're really reluctant to make restitution, to make things right when we've sinned and, and done damage, if we, if we aren't willing to readily uh, do whatever we can to make it right again, that's another uh, warning sign that we're involved in counterfeit repentance. Now, behind all of these, obviously, is self-deception. 
And in the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They, they put on fig leaves. They were hiding from God in the bushes. They were trying to manage their own sin. And so easily we can fall into that. That's, that's who we are. That's our family. That's a family characteristic. Um, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we've been training ourselves into for thousands of years. Uh, it's so easy to stand before the Lord and think, well, it's not that bad. I can, I can hide this somehow. I can deceive myself and think I've repented when I've not. Instead of being open and honest and saying, Lord, I need you. Without you, I am condemned. I am without hope. Lord, save me. So if that's counterfeit repentance, what is biblical, authentic, genuine repentance? And what does that look like? Uh, Number one, it's honest acknowledgement of sin. Do you remember when uh, David was confronted? Uh, We read his Psalm 51 that he wrote uh, that is a a song to be sung. He wrote that after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet over his sin. Well, in the account in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, he says, when Nathan confronts him, David says simply, I have sinned. I have sinned. There's no qualification. I have sinned against the Lord. I take responsibility. I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against his word. I've sinned against his righteous laws. I deserve judgment. There's no excuses. There's no minimizing. There's no self-justifying. Uh, think of uh, think of the account of the golden calf in Exodus. When Moses comes down from the mountain and Aaron has set up the golden calf uh, with the people. Do you remember Aaron's response? That this would be the, the wrong response. Do you remember his excuses? Uh, in Exodus 32, verse 21, we read, And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Now, what Aaron should have done is say, he should have said, I have sinned against the Lord. But this is what he said. Aaron said he's trying so hard here. It's 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 pitiful. Listen to how hard he's trying to avoid responsibility. Uh, Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know, the people they they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who has gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and, and, and out came this calf. It's incredible. Amazing. Uh, it's a great story, right? But he's trying so hard to avoid responsibility. I was tired. Have you ever said that? I was I was stressed. You know, I I was tired and stressed and you know that's not really me. That's not repentance. In Matthew 15, Jesus says it this way What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of our hearts come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Um it comes from me. It's my sin. I did it. And one other note here uh, on this first point of honest acknowledgement of sin. I think it's been wisely said. If you want to stay stuck in your sin, confess it only to the Lord. If you want to be free from your sin, confess it to a fellow brother or sister in the Lord. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
Now, look, we can't know all of our sins, can we? That's impossible. So, again, our, our, our forgiveness, our salvation does not depend on our ability to confess every one of our sins. Not at all. Yet if we have sins that are known to us, we'd be foolish not to bring them before the Lord and confess him, confess them. So a diagnostic question at this point for you to reflect on later. Do most of our confessions come when our sins been uncovered by someone else? Or when we've seen it ourselves and we've volunteered it honestly before the Lord or we've gone to someone on our own initiative? Now, I would say something to the young people in the room. As you're growing up, children, your parents rightly train you to apologize when you sin, right? But more and more, I want to encourage you to to go to them when you know you've sinned. Go to your parents and say, you know what, Mommy and Daddy, you haven't told me to do this, but... I know I've sinned and I want to come and confess that to you. And parents, I want you to be like that father embracing the prodigal son when that happens. Okay. Um, And adults, we train our children so well, don't we, to to confess, to apologize. But when was the last time we took the initiative? We desire that so much for our, our children. We know that's the right thing for them. But how about us? Do we do that ourselves? Do we volunteer our confessions, or do we wait till it's uncovered? All right, so that's the first uh, biblical mark of repentance is honest acknowledgement. Number two, it's acknowledgement that our sin is first and foremost against the Lord himself. Uh, David said, I've sinned against the Lord. Uh, and in Psalm 51, which we read and sang earlier, David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, that was not technically true, right? David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Bathsheba's husband. He sinned against his own wife. He sinned against the nation because he was the king. David sinned against many, many people. But what was he saying? He was saying, first and foremost, our sin is always against our creator who made us. And that's what the prodigal son said. Father, I've sinned against heaven, which is a a euphemism for God. We acknowledge that sin, first and foremost, dishonors God. It despises him. It's an act of rebellion. It's an act of thanklessness to God who gives us so many good things. A humble confession honors and exalts God. Number three. Number three, authentic repentance means that we let go of our rights. We come before the Lord and say, Lord, I have no right whatsoever to be forgiven. I deserve whatever I get from you. And I simply throw myself upon you for mercy. The prodigal son said, look, father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And David said in Psalm 51, cast me not from your presence. I deserve it. But please, I'm dependent only upon your mercy here. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Though I deserve it. You have every right to do it. So we we relinquish our rights. And we throw ourselves on God's mercy. Uh, Number four, authentic repentance means turning away from sin in hatred of it. We see sin. We begin to 
See how destructive it is. See how offensive it is to God. We see it for what it is, for a poison that if we keep drinking it will kill us. And so it's a poison that that deadens my heart to God, that trains me to be unresponsive to him, uncaring towards him, uh, not worrying at all about what he wants me to do. We see that and we hate it. We hate what sin does in our lives and in others' lives and we turn away from it. When we sin knowingly, and us as believers here, because we hear the scriptures, we read the scriptures, when we sin against the light we have from God's word, it deadens our hearts. It hardens our hearts against the Holy Spirit. And so we do, if we do not turn away from it, eventually we won't want to leave sin and we'll sit there in our own uh, death and destruction. So we should uh, take this godly counsel Uh, It is true that it's never too late to repent, but it's also true that it's never too soon to repent either because we hate sin. It deadens us to God. Uh, There is hope for even the hardest heart, though. That's clear in Scripture. Uh, God's power, his creative power to give a new heart uh, is is clear. So we're actually to turn away from sin. So here's a diagnostic question. Have I resolved that sin is my enemy and I will fight it? I will try to put it to death by the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's a diagnostic question. Have you resolved that sin is your mortal enemy, that you will fight against it your whole life long? And a follow up. Is this evident in your prayers? Is this evident in how you pray that sin? You understand the destructive power of sin, that it's poison and you're going to fight against it. All right, the fifth element of authentic repentance is that we not only hate sin and turn away from sin, but we are actually turning toward God himself. The prodigal son is running down the road toward his father. We're coming home. It's not a turning again because of our because we are facing destructive consequences of sin. We're actually turning to the Lord himself. Uh, And this is. This is the thing. Unless we see God in all of his grace and all of we see that the father in all of his compassion and all of his willingness to embrace us as we come to him, we're never going to repent. That has to be what drives our repentance is the love of the father for us. I love God. I see his goodness. I see how he forgives sinful people like us. The more I want to walk with him, the more I want to please him, the more I want to uh, give him joy. Uh, in this passage, uh, right above it, actually, in the prodigal son in Luke 15, uh, we read that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, whose joy is that? Where does that joy come from? Well, it's, it's, it says joy, but there's joy before the angels in heaven. But whose joy is it? It's actually the joy of God the Father. When we repent, it gives joy to God. And that joy feeds our joy. Because we experience that relationship of love and forgiveness. And that fuels our drive to return to him. And so the final mark of, of repentance, according to the Bible, is joy. That's a mark of repentance. There is no uh, super spirituality to walking around with, with a downcast face and, you know, woe is me and, you know, we're all terrible and we should be, you know, very, very humble. Of course there's a place for weeping over our sin, for godly sorrow. But are you a repenter? 
Well, I want to see the joy in your life. Because when we bring our sins to the Lord, He embraces us. So that's the, that's the mark of repentance, is joy. Most of all, in the life of a believer. So are we full of joy? Uh, we, we read that in Psalm 32 earlier. The first few lines, that word blessed, is, is a good translation. Another way to translate it is, is happiness. So listen to this again. I'll read it. Psalm 32, verse 1. Oh, the happiness of the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Oh, the happiness of the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Do you hear the joy in his voice as he writes? That's the mark of our repentance, because honest confession paves the way for that restored relationship and for that renewal. And Paul says it well in Romans 2. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance Not to gain his love, but because we already have it. Uh, In seminary, I told you I worked at a bank. Uh, One day, a a woman approached me at the counter and said, um, someone gave me at the other branch these three $100 bills, but they're, they're counterfeit. Would you give me actual bills for these counterfeit bills that I got from your other branch? Now, I was not on the job very long. At that point, uh, but I knew that, um, you know, I, I should not do that. <laughs> that would not be the right thing to do. Uh, so, you know, I, I honestly, I, I learned later. I was actually uh, in a, a little branch in a grocery store. I was by myself. There's no manager. And so I knew the right thing to do was not to give her the money. Uh, but I, I didn't know the right thing to do was actually to to take the money and, and report it to the FBI. You know, that I had not learned that procedure yet. Um, do you know, why do people attempt something where, you know, that's, that's just not gonna, that's just not gonna work, is it? I mean, that's not a scheme that's gonna, that's gonna happen, even for a new, new employee. Uh, you know, but it does work. There's times when counterfeiting does work, doesn't it? Even in the church, can we fool each other at times? Can we make a, a false repentance, a counterfeit repentance, and, and pass it off? Yes, absolutely. There are times when we can do that. Of course, the Lord is never, ever deceived by our repentance. And so, it's even though it's hard for us at times to see the heart, we need to give careful thought to our repentance before Him. So one, one final diagnostic question for you. What in my life has noticeably changed? What in my life has changed? Has anything noticeably changed in my life that I can point to and see fruit of repentance? Um, that diagnostic, at least for me, makes me think, I need to get on my knees, don't I? I need to go to my knees. I need to pray, Lord, give me the grace to repent. Shower me with blessing. The very heart and the reason you came and died on the cross was to bless your people by giving them repentance. Lord, I need more of that. I need repentance. I want to experience your joy, Lord. I want to make you happy with my repentance. So I hope you take time this afternoon. And again, send me an email and I'll I'll send you the questions if you didn't get them all down. But let's pray and then we'll uh, sing our closing hymn.
Father, thank you for the grace you show to us. Help us to have joy in our repentance. Help us to know that our joy comes from you because you are that compassionate father who uh, embraces us when we return to you. Uh, You shower us with grace and blessings and even the repentance in our lives, as feeble, as weak as it is sometimes, is evidence of your grace and love for us. Please turn us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.